Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Jesus calls his first disciples. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genereset, or Genereset, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a, such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. The word of the Lord. You may be seated, and the kids are invited to kids' church with Kelly today, all in one class. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Do not be afraid. afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Or two sort of poles that make up this morning for us this morning. The, the, the acknowledgement that Peter has in, in seeing this miraculous catch. Go away from me, for I am a sinful man. To Pete, Jesus' answer, which I think is equally, if not more important, I think the church can forget, that the acknowledgement, which is don't be afraid, as Emily mentioned before church, we um, confess, and confession in Christian language is not complete without its absolution. Otherwise, we're just throwing and throwing and throwing confession out there. But it's this word that comes to us in Christ afterwards that says, do not be afraid, or be made whole, or be lifted up, or invited into a new mission and a new life as the disciples find themselves. Now, this is our, uh, I forget exactly which Sunday we are in, the Gospel of Luke, because we did some of it during the Advent season. But um, every year from the time of the new year until Easter, we walk with one gospel the whole way through. And this year is Luke's gospel. If you're interested, there are copies of the Gospel of Luke in the back by the door. You can take one home with you. Like I said last Sunday, I encourage you, if you have time, to read all the way through at least half the gospel and then read through the other half. And you begin to hear and see the whole nature of what um, Luke is telling us through his gospel, to take the time and read it almost like a novel, um, to have it sort of come to you in a different way. We, we snippet up scripture quite a bit in our lives, but, but this um, is a chance to sort of sit with it and read it in extended form. It also has a place for notes on the side or 
Um, colorings is what Rosie and I did um, with ours. We would color each scene on this side, on this side. Mine was quite pathetic, um, but, but you can use it for whatever you like um, as you read through it um, and sort of take notes and, and watch the way in which um, Jesus is displayed in this gospel. Um, I've said it before, but I think that we, when we think about Jesus, we have this sort of beautiful mosaic made up of Old Testament passages, New Testament passages, gospels, some worship songs, um, uh, some things uh, that maybe aren't in there, but, but we like. Um, and we put it all together and we make this mosaic of Christ that we sort of come to, that all these images make that one thing. Um, but with reading one gospel, this year it's Luke, we have a chance to just pull one sort of tile that makes up the mosaic and look at it. Say, so why is that one in there? What is this one important for? Um, and to, and the, to then be able to zoom out and to look at our picture of Jesus even more fully, having studied it in its parts as well. Um, and that, I think, is, is one of the things we try to do during this season, is to walk with one. So far, Luke's gospel has been quite busy. We've had two miraculous births, one to the barren woman, John the Baptist, one to the virgin, Jesus Christ, and Mary. And then from there, um, after those scenes, uh, Jesus is presented at the temple, at sort of the locus of all that is Israel's religion in, in Jerusalem, that he is there um, for his presentation. And then immediately after that, the next scene, which funny enough the kids are learning about today, is the story of, of the boy Jesus who's, who's lost from his parents. And they come to find him and he is at the temple and he says, didn't you know I'd be about my father's work? Those are the two early scenes of Jesus. After that, um, we see his baptism, um, and this is the site of ministry that the barren woman's child, John the Baptist, is practicing his ministry, and Jesus is baptized. That's what we talked about last Sunday. After his baptism, there's this long genealogy that ends with Adam, in some sense saying that Christ is, is one who comes from the same stock that all of us come from, and in that way, he's there to sort of redeem and reconcile it and fulfill it. After the genealogy, this is shortly before where we pick up. Jesus by himself does several different things in his ministry. Um, this is before he calls out disciples. First, he goes to Nazareth and sort of is rejected um, as he reads from the scroll and the people um, are not happy with that. Um, and so he, well, first he's tempted in the wilderness. Then he goes to Nazareth um, and he is sort of driven out. And then he drives out impure spirits in Capernaum, a town in Galilee. And he heals many. One of the people he heals, which is part of this story, is um, Simon's mother-in-law, the one, Simon Peter, who is at, on the boat at the lake here. He heals his mother-in-law, um, and he heals more people and drives out demons, which brings us to the scene we have today. Although uh, 42 has this uh, for, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. There the people were looking for him. And when they came to him, there he was. They tried to keep him from leaving, but he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns because that is why he was sent. And he keep on, kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. That Jesus then at this point has preached in this town but acknowledges he has to go to other towns. And he finds himself um, in a solitary place praying. Um, Dan Kale, a local psychologist, and John are doing a podcast where they've invited several pastors on to talk about some sort of issue, and they invited me to come and talk about technology, which I was kind of like, 
I hate it. Like, what else do you need to know? Uh, uh, also, I'm surrendered to it completely. So, um, you know, that's a that that's that. Um, but they asked me. Dan asked me. Said, you know, what's one verse that we could look at to sort of um, look at how we might live wisely around technology? And I instantly went to the story. Um, I used to work at this place, God's Little Acre, this homeless ministry in Seattle, which was a house. People would come to the house, and they could be there from, I think, uh, 8 to noon and cook and clean and do their laundry and store stuff, and then they'd go away, and then they'd come back from 5 to 7 for dinner and stuff like that. And it was a very, um, it appreciated their agency a lot. They could cook their own food. They weren't fed our food. They could um, take a shower on sort of their own accord. Like, it was, it was a great spot to be in for several years. But we do a Bible study on um, on Wednesday mornings, and Nico, this wonderful man from Fiji, who was, uh, we always thought he was like Fijian royalty for some reason, like, like he had fled because he had tried to do a coup over the country, and he would lead you to believe that as well, but he said to me one of those mornings, he said, Matthew, Matthew, why did Jesus walk everywhere? So he didn't have a car, Nico, um, uh, and he said, no. He walked to be among the people. And it was surprising to me because I think that's what we look at when we see the pattern and ministry of Jesus is that his call is to be one among the people. He doesn't drive by them, not just because of technology, of course, but that his life speaks as one who is among people. There's a popular book that came out a couple years ago, I think called The Three Mile Per Hour God, which is about the pace at which we walk, you know, three miles per hour. And, and Jesus becomes this sort of three-mile-per-hour God as he walks in life. So going back to the question Dan asked me about what verse, I said, I think we don't really need a verse. One, we wouldn't have a verse. Uh, St. Paul advises you on how to handle your smartphone is not a verse we have in our Bible. But we do have a witness to a life formed and transformed by the kingdom that shows certain contours to it that we can miss. Jesus, early in the morning, goes out to a solitary place to pray. He is one among people. He doesn't bypass them. Jesus, in, in a later story in Luke, is interrupted on his way to go heal someone that the person dies. Now, we don't handle interruptions well in our world. If you've ever been cut off in traffic when you're running behind, it's obviously the person in front of you's fault. It's not that you left late. It's that they are impeding your progress along the way of life. They must be damned for it. Um, uh, that we have our own way. And, and Jesus is this one that as he's going to go heal somebody's daughter, he's able to be interrupted. Knowing that she dies and then he raises her. But this is, Jesus is this one who models his life. If you read, and if you are reading through Luke, read through it slowly and notice that he witnesses to a whole way of life that comes from knowing this kingdom and his role with the Father that has a different relationship to time, has a different relationship to where I need to be and what I need to do. Jesus is um, an extreme noticer. All of his parables and such take place in the ordinary world. The ones that make up Matthew 13 are a woman um, putting leaven into a loaf. Uh, you just notices, consider the birds of the field, consider the lilies. 
Christ is one who has his time to live in relationship to reality in which he doesn't invent sort of, um, as the preachers like to do, amazing things to bring about these things, but just notices life. Once there was a man who, as many of his parables begin, um, and he walks through life in that way, serving, healing, being interrupted. And so what I tried to tell Dan is I think the answer to what we might do with our technologies in the life of Jesus, if we just watch the patterns and contours of his life, um, to be radically available in certain ways. Um, you know, we often, when we think of the Christian ethic, we magnify it up to like these very large degrees. Peter left everything and followed Jesus. And it's hard for us to turn off the TV to listen to somebody at our door. Um, or we ignore the text message of somebody who needs something, but if you respond too fast, then you have to do it right then. And then I've never done this, by the way. I have friends <laughs> who, who do this. Um, but we, we have this way of sort of delaying things. Um, and again, there's you know, boundaries and all this that, that we could talk about in a different Sunday. But, but he's this availability that I think is important to us. But this story, the one that we pick up for, for this Sunday, is the one that Lee read for us, is that Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, um, which is the Sea of Galilee. Um, uh, this is a different name for it. And the people were crowding around him, listening to the word of God. This is the first time the phrase, the word of God, appears in Luke's gospel. The people are coming to Jesus to hear him teach about this word. So many people come that he has to get a boat and come onto the boat, and he teaches from there. Now, the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright um, has been to the Sea of Galilee. I think Shelley has too. Um, but you can, there are portions of the Sea of Galilee in which there are sort of these little um, shore with walls around it, not quite a canyon or anything like that, in which where if Jesus was on a boat teaching, it would have been a natural amplification system for him to sort of talk to the people to teach them about the word of God. He got in one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put it a little way from shore, and he sat down and he talked from the boat. Now Simon, as we just talked about, is one who's witnessed what Jesus has been doing. He's healed Simon's mother-in-law. And many of the people coming to hear Jesus talk about the word of God, um, as we'll see throughout this gospel and the other ones, are in interest but not sure where they belong so if you look at simon as this one he's not a disciple yet that's the end of this scene he has appreciation for jesus he will let jesus onto his boat he will do what jesus says immediately in the scene right after this but he hasn't had the acknowledgement of what jesus is coming to do who jesus is as he ministers and works amongst the people there um, and i think you know this, this text is very existential if you want to think about your own life. You know, we're here today, right? So there's, uh, there's a sense in which we come. Uh, early churches, funny enough, were designed with like the underside of a boat. That's what the nave is, is what they call it. But it's funny, you could look at the, our sanctuary's roof um, sort of as a boat upside down as well, which I think is clever. But like, we've come to the boat today. All of us are here. Um, uh, Brian, you've thought of that before? Um, never thought of that. Um, yeah, it does kind of look. Uh, anyways, um, having never been under a wood boat, so um, 
I'm sure somebody will correct me afterwards. You know, if it were a real wood boat. Um, the, uh, we've come here today. And so there's this question in the next following scenes. When, when Jesus interrupts Simon's work, they're putting away their nets. They're cleaning their nets in a different scene. Like, you've worked all night. Um, you've been frustrated with the fact that you didn't catch any fish. Now, you can think about whatever this might be in your own week or day or life. And we've all worked, we've all been tired, and we've all had moments where our work did not turn out the way we wanted it to turn out. And this is Jesus who comes and asks to teach on your boat. He's done nice things. He healed my mother-in-law. He's, he's a teacher of Israel's word. He's, he's sort of bringing this forth. People are here to listen to him. Yeah, you can get on my boat while I put away my nets. Um, and we can, you know, have Jesus around us like that. But Jesus, as he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep waters and let the nets down for a catch. Put out into deep waters. Finish. You were putting away your nets. Take them back out. Go out to deep waters, which have not been to the Sea of Galilee, but in most water bodies, deep is further out. So it's not like, hey, throw your nets in the shore and see what happens. It's you got to get all the way back in the boat again. You got to go all the way out deep. And when you get all the way out deep, you got to get your nets all dirty again. Now, it's true of the Sea of Galilee, Lake Gennesaret, that you don't catch fish during the day. People fish at night for a reason. So not only is Jesus interrupting sort of the putting away of the nets, he's oblivious to how this system works. Peter responds to him, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And if you're me, so go talk to someone else. Um... But Peter shows receptivity here. Um, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. It's this first step of obedience that opens the crack in the story. Now all Simon has to do at this point is do what he does as a fisherman. There's nothing he's being asked to do to, um, uh, that's out of the ordinary for his daily life other than he's going out in the daytime when he knows he's not going to catch any fish rather than at night. But Jesus is working within the frame and structure of his life. He's not inventing a whole new life for him to sort of learn this lesson. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the boat began to come, uh, they signaled, uh, the number of fish, the nets began to break. So they signaled their partners and the other boat to come and help them. And when they had filled both boats so full, they began to sink. It's a lot of fish to potentially sink two boats to sort of be filling up over and over again. There's, you know, the church has done artistic um, uh, portrayals of this scene, but this is a lot of fish that you would have to sort of, you know, pull over two boats. Incidentally, um, this would put Peter perhaps at the top of his game in the fishing world. Um, which makes that he leaves the nets even more interesting, right? Like, he's fished the Sea of Galilee, Lake Gennesaret, most of his adult life, right? And all of a sudden, during the day, Jesus tells him to go out and to catch fish. 
And he catches so many fish that it almost sinks two boats. This is the best day of fishing that you could have in a lot of ways. Um, and yet when um, he comes back to shore, um, Simon Peter falls at his feet, uh, fell at his knees and said, Go away from me, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were the others amazed. What is happening in this confession? Seeing all this, catching all these fish, go away from me, for I am a sinful man. Now, what Brian read for us in the, earlier in the worship service was that scene from the book of Isaiah, in which Isaiah sees the heavenly um, uh, courts and says, Whoa, um, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I'm a man of an unclean people, which I think we always can forget that the confession of, of guilt is normally not just singular, but it's part of a whole thing. Isaiah sees himself. What happens is an angel comes and takes a coal and touches his mouth and sort of purifies him. Last Sunday, we talked about how Jesus, as he's baptized in the water, makes clean the water. This scene from Isaiah is another type of that, too, is that Jesus, as he goes to places of death, destruction, um, the broken places of life, is not defiled by them, but purifies them. So what we see in Isaiah's thing is that a holy agent is capable, a coal in the book of Isaiah, is capable of purifying Isaiah so that he can speak in that place. It makes his lips clean. But this is similar to Peter's confession. Um, seeing the amazement of what God has done, he says, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. There's a couple of things we could talk about here. Um, one is a lot of I think a, a lot is missing from the scene that they almost died catching these fish. If your boat almost goes underwater trying to bring in fish, and it's I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It normally it happens to me with some sort of hose or something where like I'm like so glad I got it turned down and it's working, and then you can't get it turned off. Like like you try something and then it works more successfully than you hoped it would. Like when you're trying to get a car out of the snow, trigger warning for today, um, and you gas it and it starts to move, but then it moves too fast and you hit another car. Um, you know that, that things work too well, and it's almost, for me at least in those situations, uh, I'm struggling to think of good examples, it's almost more terrifying. So you didn't think it would work, and then when it starts to work and you can't do anything about it, it brings about a different question of what's going on here thought it was in charge of getting it just a little bit on, and now it's out of control. Um, the abundance that Jesus causes in the catch of fish, that's, there's a great saying about the creation reacts to its creator um, in this scene, um, has its own terrifyingness to it. Um, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Another observation that goes with this, which is the one on the back of the bulletin today, is people are religious to the extent to which they believe themselves to be not so much imperfect uh, as sick. People who are halfway decent will believe themselves utterly imperfect, but religious people believe themselves wretched. Um, there's a lot going on in that, that statement, but what I take from what Wittgenstein is saying here is that everybody can say, look, I'm not perfect. 
It's how you try to win a fight with your spouse. Look, I'm not perfect, which is like somehow that would absolve you. Um, um, anyways, um, but only a religious person can understand themselves as sinful. In front of the Catholic Church here, I've talked to Father Bird about it, but there's the Ten Commandments in front of it, and it begins with the first one. But the first, the Ten Commandments, I always think, are dislocated if they don't have the line before them that because I rescued you out of Egypt, this is the way you're supposed to live your life. Which is to say, you can only break the Ten Commandments if you've been rescued from slavery. Like, you can only begin to break the rules in that way if you're somebody who knows what it means that you've been rescued. Or in Peter's case, this idea that, um, go away from me for I'm a sinful man, is to know that there is beauty and goodness beyond him. That's what reveals it. This abundance. As I'm talking to Jack before church, it's this idea that only a Christian can be a sinner. Because sinner is the theological language that says that there is behavior that's been defined by a God that makes me, uh, and, and not even just behavior, I don't think he's morally confessing here, Simon, although that might be part of it. He's um, existentially confessing. You are one before me who is so far beyond me. Go away from me because I am a sinful man. That realization I am a sinful man can only come because he's met Christ. Only the Christian can be a sinner. And you'll find this, particularly in Paul's teachings too often, is that like people are talking about the world and everything that's going on, and Paul has this idea of like, why would they know better? It's for you who have been given the gift of knowledge in the church and through the scriptures and through the witness of Jesus to know and do better. The fact that there's a whole world out there that's not doing what it should be doing shouldn't surprise you because they don't have the language yet to know, go away from me, for I am a sinful man. It's the type of astonishment that comes from him in the face of holiness, of beauty, and of fear. Jesus will say later, as he's accused of, of hanging out with sinners, he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. The church, Christianity, is the gathering of the people who say, I am not healthy, I am sick, and I need a doctor. One of the earlier phrases for Christ um, that we don't use much today was Christ was the doctor of our souls, um, the healer of our souls. The church is not a place where the healthy people get together. The church is the place where the sick people get together. Um, we know the doctor who heals us in that place. So in this way, the church will always be a community of forgiven sinners. Um, and yet, um, the scene doesn't end there. It would be one thing to say, look, the church is the place that knows that they are sinful. But the church also knows the voice of Christ that comes after that. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Now, the fish for people part, I think, is particular to Simon's call, um, or Peter's call as he becomes. Um, but I do believe the don't be afraid part. As we find ourselves encountering the holiness of who God is. We find ourselves in the normal of amount of our day. 
and a prompting to be available in ways that we only are because we follow the God who is radically available. Sometimes these interruptions lead us to see things and to know things that might cause us to blame, go away from me for I am a sinful man. And it's for us to hear the word of Christ. Do not be afraid and to be called into a new way of life. For Simon is this, you will now fish for people. One observation here is that uh, fishing that Merle and I do is based off of deception. Um, we try to tie tiny little flies and float them on the water so that the fish come up and hit them. Um, uh, and Christians, some, have taken the type of fishing that we're supposed to do in witnessing to the gospel to be based off of deception. There's this terrible track, which is this way of sort of sharing the gospel, which is disguised as a million-dollar bill. That's dumb to begin with. But then on the back it says, you thought you won a million dollars, but I'm here to offer you a way to become a Christian, which is worth more than a million dollars. The fishing in the New Testament world is not based off of deception. People, or fish, are gathered up and caught into nets and transferred to a new realm. It's not deception that the church uses, but it's the goodness of this net gathering that gathers up the people and brings them to the truth of the gospel. So we'll end uh, with this um, uh, quote from Flannery O'Connor. What happens after this is that they um, pull up their boats and leave everything and follow him. After their most successful day of fishing, they leave behind fishing and follow Jesus because it's the only way they can go forward in their lives. But she says, I don't believe that if God intends for the world to be spared, he'll have to lead a few select people in the wilderness to start things over again. I think that's what he began with Moses and the children of Israel left Egypt continues today in the church. And it is meant to continue that way. And I believe that all this is accomplished in the patience of Christ in history and not with select people, but with very ordinary ones. As ordinary as the uh, vacillating children of Israel and the fishermen of the apostles. Ordinary people we are invited into this mission. Seeing God's beauty, we would proclaim, go away from me, for I am a sinful man. And yet Christ proclaims back to us, don't be afraid, for I'm calling you into a new life. Let us pray. God, in this story, we hear the calling your disciples, Simon, Peter, and two others. An interruption in their daily life brought them to a, an abundance of fish, but more an encounter with you. And through that encounter, they both find something that is far beyond them, but something that is also so close to them that it can calm their fears. Then they can arise and leave behind their trappings and go towards a new life. God, may we find ourselves in the story as well. There are various calling stories. 
commissioning stories in the New Testament. But may we hear these interruptions and embrace these interruptions in our lives so that we may be transformed by you. So we ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.